Welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian and my co-host is Austin Chadwick. And today we have Kevin Callahan. And uh, welcome to the show, Kevin. Uh, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about wayfinding, but kind of to get us started, uh, Kevin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks. Well, first off, thanks for having me. Um, it's always fun to sit down with um, sit down with folks and, and have a conversation. So yeah, I'm, my name is Kevin Callahan. Uh, I consider myself a leadership wayfinder and that encompasses a lot of different uh, kind of disciplines, but fundamentally what it's about is enabling leaders to navigate complex environments. And that might be a business environment, it might be a technical environment, could even be a social environment. Um, complexity is a, is a thing. And when we understand it, it enables us to make better decisions as we do that navigation. And when we don't understand it, um, people tend to unintentionally make uh, not as good decisions. So I want to help them make better ones. Nice, nice. Yeah, right on. And just right off the bat, I have a feeling that this wayfinding metaphor comes from something. Is there is there some sort of, uh, is, is, uh, it like, is it like boating or something? I'm trying to. <laughs> so it, it's, it's interesting. Um, I can't remember where I found it ironically, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I do remember, so I, I did a, a really amazing graduate studies uh, program from 26, no, I graduated in 2016, so 2014 to 2016 at the Case Western Reserve University, and that degree is a positive uh, organization development and change uh, master's degree, and one of the things, so we're, we're trying to look at organizational change from a complexity perspective instead of a predictive control perspective, and, and if, you know, and so I was kind of talking about change management and uh, like, you can't manage a complex process. Like it's unmanageable because it kind of co-evolves and it's messy and it moves around and um, you don't really ever know what's happening with it um, entirely. You can kind of observe it. And so what's the, what's the word that describes that? Like the modifier for change. Um, cause like catalyst didn't really work. Cause that's like catalysts are unchanged in a reaction and it's very sort of controlled in that way and predictable. Um, and that had been something I had played with. And then, uh, I, I sort of stumbled on this idea of like fostering, but that has a bunch of weird annotations around like foster children and fostering pets and, um, which is amazing context, but is that really what I want to bring in to the metaphor? or stewardship, and I really like that, but then people are like, that's weird. Like I kind of tested a little bit and people like, like a flight attendant, like your flight attendant for change. I'm like, no, that's not it either. Uh, <laughs> what is the kind of a thing where you kind of navigate, like, so this idea of navigation came in and moving through over time. And the idea that we're constantly making lots of small decisions that over time become incredibly fateful. And what might it be called? I remember um, a long time ago when the GPS, handheld GPS were first coming out and a buddy of mine, we were wilderness guides at that point. And he had one of these and he's like talking about waypoints and navigating from waypoints and wayfinding. And I'm like, that's that's the word. That's what I wanna kind of hook onto my professional identity. So that's a very long way of, uh, of bringing in that metaphor of navigation and, and a sense of place and a sense of journey and, and um, lots of small decisions and and responding to a, a journey as you you know bringing this sort of wilderness guide background that I have where you you have sort of what you think is going to happen and then as you kind of go out on that that uh, endeavor all kinds of other things 
introduce themselves and you have to uh, sometimes radically change your plan um, depending on what what unfolds and and uh, and I think that my work certainly writing software is like that um, at least my experience as a developer for a really long time and uh, and definitely leading change is like that um, nice, nice. So, yeah. So, yeah I just looked up some historical examples of wayfinding I think it fits the metaphor because I was talking about like uh, Magellan or those you know trying to discover new lands and so it's like mm-hmm. you know some things but there's a lot of unexpected things that are going to happen too so <laughs> nice yeah 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 and you, you know then you start thinking about like preparation you're like the, the list that you guys ran through before the show it's like so helpful right just like a really quick like bringing that preparation with you um i imagine you didn't just come up with that i imagine that was in response to early shows um having things that didn't go well and they were like we should probably uh, we should probably put that in our pre-flight checklist. <laughs> Just a hunch. <laughs> no, it's funny. It's it's true. It's true. Like uh, every item in our pre-flight uh, checklist for the show is usually tied to an event, you know, so like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, locking up animals so they don't like spontaneously show up in the show. Or uh, I think there's one about overheating or being plugged in because one time in the middle, just the batteries went out and then <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Got, got too hot yep. Yep. <laughs> all the fun stuff all the nice. fun stuff well yeah. so what so you bring this metaphor into kind of the business technical world but everything always goes perfectly to plan so i, I don't understand totally. why we would exactly need to uh <laughs> I, yeah i'm not really sure why i have a job it's crazy <laughs> yeah. it's just one big well-oiled machine it's a newtonian clock and um, get the, the, the variables right it works perfectly um, no it's just it, it, but it's 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 funny we joke about that and yet the reason why i think it's funny um is because there is so much of that belief um you know and you could you could call it like i've i've read uh frederick taylor's you know just landmark work of scientific you know the principles of scientific management i think is what he called it and a bunch of people cite that and then i asked them well what did you read it and they're like no nah, of course not like well you might want to read it if you're going to quote the source to, to understand what he was trying to say um but he was very much a very very much like a reductionist mechanical sort of clock or newtonian clock oriented sort of mindset about you just got to figure out the variables and tinker with them until you get the optimal outcome and then you just stamp that thing out it doesn't matter um and uh and i think that that works in a lot of places and and we've learned a lot of things that maybe are more nuanced than that like uh then dave snowden's been talking about uh, the constructor pattern which i understand he he's kind of adapted out of uh quantum theory which always makes me nervous because it's a really specific domain about subatomic particles and we're not so um let's be careful about how we say we're just like that um so yeah <laughs> uh i do so anyway Yes, change change is a is an interesting thing, and uh, if we can agree first and foremost that it it is not predictable in that way, we're left with, well, then what do we do? And it's not like you do nothing, you know. It's not like you guys just pretend that your shows are always going to be flawless technically, and so you don't do any flight pre flight stuff, and you don't pretend like, oh yeah, it's never going to happen to us. That happens to other people, but us, no, we're good. It'll, it'll, every, it's just going to be great. Um, that's crazy. I, I, I quip like ostriches are horrible uh, models for 
for managing conflict and change, right? You don't just put your head in the sand and hope it'll go away. Uh, you got to engage with it in some other way. And so that's a big, big question mark. How do we engage with something that co-evolves as we engage with it and changes as we engage with it and changes us too? What about all that? So, yeah, you're, you're both nodding. So what do you think? I've been talking a bunch already. Um, what, how's all that land with you, the two of you? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of references to Taylorism uh, in management or like theory X, theory Y type stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm always, um, you know, interested in that. Uh, you know, for, for, for me, um, kind of being in uh, a IoT and manufacturing uh, area, um, you can kind of see the the Taylorism and theory X, theory Y playing out uh, very much in in both. So it's like a very like a hybrid environment, which is quite interesting. Um, and so uh, you know, I guess you know, going back to that, um, you know, how how is wayfinding different or similar to? uh to th those models and or uh, you mentioned complexity theory as well so you know um how do how do second order effects play into it you know what uh what are you thinking there um so i, I that's a great question i i uh i really uh, so i started looking at complexity theory i was an undergrad in the early 90s at UC Santa Cruz and UC Santa Cruz is where the discipline was founded in the, I think it was in the seventies. Um, there's a really fun book called the Eudaimonic pie, um, which is sort of a parallel stories of the discovery of what they didn't have a name for it yet. Um, but, but the first they were, they're basically like either physicists or computer scientists. I can't remember what, and they got oscilloscopes, like the first oscilloscopes that were plugged into like analog tube computers. And, and so there was this belief basically or an assumption that any equation, and I'm, if I, I could be butchering this story because I'm not like a math guy at all. And so mathematicians are going to be like, he didn't get that right at all. So um, if I totally like swing and miss on this, um, forgive me. But my understanding of it was there was kind of an assumption that um, any equation fundamentally, when you plugged it in uh, to a, a some device that would be able to solve it long enough, it would ultimately go to zero or it would ultimately go to infinity, right? Like there was either closed or open equations and, and all equations had to be that way. And so what these guys were discovering and they were all guys at that point is that certain classes of equations self-corrected within parameters and they would watch the oscilloscope go in what we now call a strange attractor pattern. And so you'd get this, um, never quite the same, but always within parameters, um, trace lines of, of, uh, of plots, right? As, as these equations would render. And they would just sit there all night watching this oscilloscope, just like, how is this possible? How does this thing actually work? So to bring it around, um, what, what, when I found like the Kinevin framework and really started diving into that, um, I've been really taking a hard look at that for a lot of years now. And, feel like I finally, a couple of years ago, I, I stopped learning something when I would teach it. Right. And I, I mean, it took, like I was working with it for years and drawing it and, and talking through it and answering questions about it and exploring it and sort of twisting it. 
And I find it's like, okay, finally, finally, after like eight years, have my head wrapped around Kinevin. Um, <laughs> Kinevin helps us to understand, among lots of things, like that it's there is that movement, there is that dynamicism, and things, you know, it's a, it's a really a, helping us understand that things move between those domains. And sometimes we can facilitate that movement, and sometimes something in the environment will trigger it and facilitate it. But for things that exist as an ordered thing that is predictable, um, any of those predictive process controls work really, really well. And for things that are not that, that are more nonlinear, like what you might describe them as complex, um, you fundamentally need a different kind of process control to safely navigate them. And that is an empirical process control. And I got that language from Don Reinertsen in a, in a talk that I can't find again. Um, that, you know, if you're in an ordered thing, use predictive process control, like traditional project management works really well. If you're working in things that are unknowable, got to go to, because you, you can't know what's going to happen. Um, you can have very well-informed guesses. You can have hypotheses. You can have models. You can have hunches. Um, but really, you need to be looking at what's actually happening, and then that's empiricism. And so what I like to guide organizations to do, especially, you know, this what, what a beautiful blend of like ordered manufacturing, you know, like let's let's lock down variability on these lines. Let's do traditional theory of constraints. And then somehow we're blending in this like weird software development stuff that is not going to play the same way. You know, your software workflows are not going to play the same way that your manufacturing flows do. And and so you have to treat them differently. And weird stuff happens when, you know, like in the original Ghostbusters, like you don't cross the streams, like just don't do that. Uh, like don't cross, like keep those things separate and, and treat them separate and manage the risks separately and, you know, understand the interdependence. Um, but fundamentally, they're really, really, they're not a little bit different. They're really, really, really different. And, um, and so I try to really help people understand that. Um, so that they can more safely navigate, um, you know, the decisions and commitments they're making. Nice. So that's nice. a very long-winded. Uh, you'll, you'll. I'm not good at answering things succinctly. <laughs> <laughs> Neither are we. <laughs> good, good. Okay. You're in good company we'll get, there. Yeah. We'll get through like three questions, and then the hour will be up. It's like, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. No, no. That we're we're here to hear you. So this is great. And. Awesome. Um, yeah, two things came to mind for me after hearing you kind of uh, touch on a, many different things is, um, so it's like you're kind of preparing, you're doing things to prepare yourself for uncertainty or unexpected mm -hmm. things for that un uncharted territory. And I guess before we get to there, um, I guess in whenever you're in an organization or you're asked to come into an organization, do you find that they're already there? They already believe they're in a in a domain of uncharted territory where there's uncertainty, or does there need to be some convincing out of the uh, kind of Taylorism uh, mm. when you deem appropriate? What, what's your usual entrance into a system? I suppose. Uh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, yeah. So um, so I'm I've been doing I've, I've been an, an agile practitioner for about about twelve years now going on 13 um longer if you include my time as a developer on a scrum team which i think started in about 2008 mm. and then i flipped into a scrum master role then agile coach enterprise coach um and these days i train enterprise coaches it's one of the many things i do and so 
I want to know kind of how, how is this organized? Why are they asking me to come help? Mm. And, and so I've gotten a lot better. A um, couple of things. One is I've gotten a lot better at sort of having that conversation and, and sussing it out. Um, the way that I market myself, I think doesn't attract people that, that are looking for a turnkey, um, like, like a safe implementation, for example. Um, like I don't, I don't do that. I don't work with safe. I'm not safe certified. I, I had the opportunity to get safe certified years ago for free, right? Like the guy I was working for was like, I, I will, I, I couldn't pay me to go, but he would literally give me the cert. And I'm like, it's not worth my weekend. <laughs> like, and that was years ago. Um, so I like to just kind of probe, sense, respond with conversationally with the people that are inviting me in. Like, kind of, how do you look at the world? Why are we talking? You know, what are you really trying to get at? Where are you trying to go? What What are you trying to accomplish if you can even articulate it? Which I don't need them to. I mean, I could just start a big engagement, and the only thing they could say was, "We want reduced lead times." We want things to stay open less long in our tool of record. We want things to spend less time in queues waiting to be worked on and more time being worked on as, as a proportion of their life. And as senior management, we want more transparency into the health of this so we can make better decisions about what to do. And I'm like, that's if, if you're good with that as like the blueprint for an 18 month engagement at six figures, I'm in. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, I, I, that's a coherent guess. I was like, I don't know where we'll end up, um, but if we spend together 18, 12, 18 months working on that thing um, and you're willing to do some of the stuff that I suggest you do because it makes sense to you, not because I asked you to do it. Um, I think it's coherent to, to believe that we can, we can move the needle on those things for you. How far it moves is more to do with you than me. And so you have to be willing to change, you know, and so the leaders are like, I'm like, this is not going to leave you untouched. Like you need, you're in this game too. So what are you willing to do? And so I'm giving them some ideas to push their comfort zones a little bit as well um, and help them evolve and grow as leaders, just as they're asking their technical people to evolve and grow as technical practitioners. And I think that's really, really important. This isn't something like, oh, go fix my teams. Like, mm. Why do you think they're that way? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> how, uh, how, how, uh, what, what are maybe, do you have any examples of like how things go well and how things go not so well and, and avoiding the not so well? <laughs> um, well, I, in any specific domain or area or kind of focus? Uh, well, you know, I, I'm always pretty focused on the, um, the understanding and adoption of complexity in an organization because mm -hmm. i think that you know, probably a lot of what's going on uh in the world it, kind of in this area is that there are a lot of people that want everything to be an exact science and and treat it as such and then get themselves into big trouble because of it and so Mm -hmm. um yeah so, so success stories pain stories those are all very interesting to me all the time <laughs> Um, what, yeah, so one of the, the interesting things, um, not always desired, but nonetheless interesting things about complex systems is they do evolve. 
And so depending where you are in the point of time and that evolution and how long you're in that evolution and kind of what, what kinds of decisions are being made to influence that evolution, whether they're like huge, oh, we're going to take on, you know, we're a 400 person engineering department and we're going to take on an agile transformation and we're going to pivot the whole thing. Like, that sounds insane to me. Like, why would you do that? Like, how much are you going to spend and how much, like, people aren't even going to know, like, what's expected as that changes. Like, it would be much nicer from my perspective. Nice is maybe not the right word there. Um, like, can we, like, nibble off a little chunk? Can we sort of find a, 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 a single product that's sort of Goldilocks size, not too small, not too big, and sort of reorg that and pilot that or even just start with where they are and, and apply the Kanban method and um, to their existing workflow, make it visible, differentiate weight and touch states and just operate it and watch and see what happens. Um, and then you make your next sort of experimental evolution based on that rather than, you know, I, I use a lot of batch size stuff, like sort of batching your changes in these massive things. Um, mm. And so an, an effective, you know, one of the questions I will always ask a prospect is, how long do you think this is gonna take? And they just kind of go, huh? I'm like, are you thinking like this is a couple of workshops? Are you thinking this is like a few weeks, this months, this years? Like, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, often they will say something like, well, I'm hoping it's months. <laughs> like, well, it might be. I'm, I'm sure you'll see some changes within months, but I've been involved in several multi-year efforts. And in my experience, that's, the kind of time you're talking about to help because not not everyone likes change not everyone's into it um and so to bring people along long enough that they have enough of time and experiences to to fundamentally rethink and re-experience their work um then you get a culture shift which everyone's always talking about oh we need to change the culture it's like yeah good luck um do some of this stuff evolutionarily and in a couple of years ask people to tell you a story again about their work and, and maybe it's changed and maybe it hasn't. Um, but mm. I think there's, there's a lot in there too about narrative analysis. So I don't know if that's um, the things that I'm looking for success wise, or yeah, people just telling me, uh, you know, like Austin before you, but I thought Chrissy, you and I were talking about how's your week gone. Right. And I'm like, I'm on cloud nine. because I was talking to this VP yesterday at my favorite client. And he told me things have gotten a lot better since you showed up. And that's what success looks like for me. Like, I don't know that he can pin down and say, oh, we saw like a 16% reduction in lead times over here and a, you know, 24% increase in this um, employee happiness survey. Um, but people basically agree this, this is different and we like it more. Mm. And if that's a trend that I'm on, um, that's enough for me. And, you know, do they continue to pay me? Do they continue to call me? And if my, and do they continue to refer me? And as people sort of move around these big organizations and kind of bring me along, I, I think that's a really important positive signal that my work is valuable. And, you know, they don't always know what to do either. And so if they have somebody there who can help them through that, it's, it's, it's very welcomed, um, really, really welcomed. And so that's another sort of indication of, you know, do they keep calling me? <laughs> yeah, if they yeah, keep yeah, yeah. calling me, that's a good sign. <laughs> if they don't call me, it's not necessarily a bad sign because sometimes they just go away <laughs> for a while. Um, I've had very few engagements implode and, and I have a very short but very serious professional back blacklist of people I will never work with again uh, because <laughs> it's gone so poorly. 
Um, but it's only got about six names on it. So it's, it's not horrible. <laughs> and I don't share it. People are like, oh, who's on that? I'm like, that's not for you to know. <laughs> don't worry. You're not, you're not on it. <laughs> How does one stay off that list? <laughs> uh, the big thing is you keep your word. Yeah. Yeah. You know, operate with integrity and clean up your messes. Um, you know, this, we're going to bump into each other. We're going to, we're going to mess up. We're going to um, say, we're going to have bad days. We're going to say bad things, things that we don't mean uh, or things that we don't intend, or they'll be heard in ways that we don't intend. And I think um, to be able to clean that up is really, really, really important and acknowledge yeah. that, you know what, I blew it. And I'm not trying to hide that fact and I'm not trying to cover it up and I'm not trying to justify it. And I'm not trying to, explain it away i'm just saying i messed up like that was not what i wanted to have happened not what i meant to have happened but that's what happened as a result of my action and i own that completely mm. what do we need to do to move forward and if people do that with me i'm so good and when they start <laughs> like blaming me or blaming something else that was totally in their control um i got a problem with that yeah yeah i hear you yeah and um yeah, I think that, that those kind of uh, the ability to work through conflict that is indeed super critical for team and enterprise stuff. Another thing that kind of jumped out at me at the kind of team and enterprise level is, you know, you've mentioned a few things because uh, you started to dive into, you know, in this wayfinding, uh, you got to do things to prepare for unexpected things and uh, yeah. you know, start making changes to and see how it goes. Kind of this, uh, would you kind of point from uh, Kinefrin? It was the was it probe act sense I'm trying oh, to probe, probe sense respond probe, probe sense response so at the team level is something i'm very uh familiar with like you, you said yep. like kanban make things visual that that in, in a sense is making them being able to sense uh mm-hmm. <laughs> where they weren't sensing before absolutely and you know tinkering with batch sizes and all that kind of stuff um i, I have several things that come to mind for me at, at, at like a team level but uh when you start talking about things from an enterprise level i just have like a big vacuous cloud uh, so <laughs> um yeah so yeah so one of the things about complexity uh if you want to use the technical term it's got a fractal geometry and if that doesn't make sense to people you can just say that things repeat independent of scale mm. and so a lot of the patterns like for example if a kanban board works well at a team level um some sort of visualization of workflow works good at other levels too. And if you do that well, then you call that multi-level Kanban. And so like, if, if, if I'm, one of the things I'm really excited about is there seems to be a growing interest in agile portfolio management and how do we um, m- more effectively, I guess, manage what arrives and how, and what we sort of let into the system, so to speak, the system being whatever your organization, your workflow, your your value streams, whatever that thing is. Like, like how does stuff arrive and then how do we let it in? You know, and Scrum has a really clear way of doing that. It's called the product backlog to the sprint backlog. And then we manage work in batches of a sprint, which, you know, one to four weeks, whatever. Um, Kanban is, doesn't have any uh, guidance on that, except to say, make your work visible and manage flow and encourage active leadership at all levels. and. Um, you know, kind of those practices out of the Kanban method, but it doesn't really prescribe anything um, because your context is different depending on a lot of dynamics, yeah? So I like to help uh, those different levels of the organization 
I mean, queuing theory still applies, complexity theory still applies, um, leading people still applies, um, building systems that are uh, effective in your context and, and can uh, respond still applies, not over committing still applies, understanding where bottlenecks are and, and what to do about those still applies. Um, so it's all there. It's just, you know, it, it, it has maybe different words attached to it. Um, and maybe it's the scope of it is much, much larger and the amount of details in it is much, much greater. Um, but it's still the same fundamental dynamics. You know, like I've, I believe that the work that I stand for is based on natural laws. Like gravity is a natural law. You can choose to ignore it if you would like. Um, probably bad things are going to happen that you don't like if you do. Um, what happens to flow-based queuing systems if you overload them, it appears to be an ad, like I have not seen one ever. I've not heard one represented or described. I've not heard of one or read of one being studied that doesn't exhibit the same kind of storage, you know, breaking down its ability to deliver to begin storing things. And that's not why we have them, right? Like you don't build freeways to store cars. You build parking lots to store cars. When you overload freeways, they become parking lots. That's mm. like bad. <laughs> and we don't have engineering teams to um, be busy. We have them to create value for our customers, ultimately the people who use our stuff. And if our, our customers have realize enough value, they'll pay us for it. And our company's like that. So you call the first thing an impact, the middle thing an outcome. And then we achieve that through output. And output's really easy to measure. And like I was just on a call this morning with another client and they it's a monthly all hands call. It's not a very big all hands, about 25, 30 people. And um, they, they throw these metrics things up that show trends of uh, work and process, work delivered. And, you know, what a surprise, their work in process has gone down over the last several months at any one time, and their throughput has gone up. And I've been trying to explain this to them for years, like, this is what will happen. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of piped in, I was like, hey, if anybody's curious about that relationship, you know, I don't think most people in the call could see that relationship because this big page of numbers, no visualizations or anything. Um, but I'm like, hey, you know, I'm looking at those and I'm seeing those go down and those go up. There's a, a correlation there. I'm, I'm not sure it's causal. I have suspicions, but I would need to probe into it to see. Yeah. Um, if anyone's interested in that, let me know and we can talk about it because if we can do that, I can promise it will make your life better as a, as a team member. Hmm. And as your life gets better, the organization, like you're going to, again, it, to me, it comes out of commitment and integrity. Like, can you meet the commitments? Are you committing to the right things? And when you commit to something, can you deliver on it? And um theory of constraints and queuing theory help us to understand the, the our capabilities there. And then complexity helps us to understand if you're trying to be predictable in an unpredictable context, um, how do you hedge and, and what do you do about that? How do you prepare? And what are the things, um, you know, like I'm a, I'm an avid downhill mountain biker, right? Here's my, here's my helmet right here. Nice. Um, like I can have this helmet, <laughs> And it's kind of like I spent money on it, spent money on the goggles. It can't do what I intend for it to do if I leave it here. Like I have to put it on every time. And, you know, things like team working agreements that nobody re remembers where they are, or what's in them. It's kind of like, yeah, cool, good. You bought a helmet and you left it in your trunk. And now you're <laughs> going to go out cycling, which like you're going to bump into each other. You're two human beings like solving a problem together. You're going to bump into each other. Uh, and now you don't have a, you don't have that protective apparatus to, to help you 
get through that bump. Um, and, 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 you know, like I've, I've crashed really, really hard wearing all this armor and, it, and I don't want to say it's fun. I mean, sometimes it's not horrible, but I get up <laughs> and it's like, wow, that kind of sucked. Um, it's probably a day ending event, but I'm ending the day on my terms and not in an ambulance and that's good. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if, did I answer your question? I felt like I went all over the place on that one. No, 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 no. Yeah. I think, it, I think it helps a lot. No, no, I think, uh, it, it was a great way to explain it. Cause I think for me, it's almost like I need to, so it's it, like you said, a lot of the same thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm imagining a Kanban and instead mm-hmm. of it being like, uh, at the team level it would be like, oh, there's multiple people on the team and how do we reduce, uh, work in progress. Right. You know, and that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so at like an enterprise level, is it like different departments or different, you know, like what, what's the, what's the scale entity, so to speak? <laughs> well, so the first question is, well, how do you create value in the world as yeah. an organization? Right. And where yeah. does that sort of idea about what is valuable start mm-hmm. and kind of like, where's the seed planted? And then where do you harvest the fruit? And there's a, some, there's a bunch of stuff that happens between those two events. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes time. And sometimes it, it, depending on the context, you know, if you're doing hardware, like that's probably years of work time. Um, like I, a long time ago, I got to do some work. Uh, I was working, living and in, in working in California and, and experiential education, corporate experiential education. And we got a client that made um, wafer fab hardware. So like the equipment, the photolithography cameras, like all the stuff that requ- the, these huge machines uh, that make computer chips. Mm. And so what they were finding is their sales team didn't actually understand the technology that they were selling. And so they hired us to train on an offsite, to come to their sales team offsite and custom build them uh, a game about all wafer fabrication and all of these trade-offs. And like, we literally gave them like pieces of poster board and glue. And like, they had to like make mocks of, process of wafer wafer fab process um and i totally lost the thread of where i was where i was going with that but oh (laughs) that you know even then they still they still knew uh you know like the guy that trained us he's like we have as an industry we have like a five-year roadmap like we know where chip manufacturing is going in five to ten years like we already know it it just takes that long to retool wafer fabs because these this equipment is prohibitively expensive and once you buy it, like you need to milk it for as long as you possibly can to pay it off. You know, like when you're, he's, he's saying basically like we're, we're hitting the scales that we're working at now, theoretically we have, and in labs, we have transistors that are three molecules wide and you put a single electron in the middle one. And now you have a gate. Now you have a switch. <laughs> uh, we can't, it's not stable enough to manufacture, but we can make one in the lab. The other thing he said that blew my mind was gamma rays are not cutting a straight enough line in our photolithography anymore. <laughs> like far, far, far spectrum blue light, you know, that is so the wavelengths are so tight, like that can't cut a straight enough line through your substrates. Like <laughs> that's crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so they're starting, that was the very beginning of, we're going to start putting multiple cores on the same chip. Cause that's the only way to scale this anymore. Yeah. We've already shrunk it down to the physical limits of the materials. Yeah. And now we're just going to start replicating them. Yeah. I don't know. What are, what are they up to like eight, 16 cores on a, on a chip now? 
it's crazy the per- proverbial death of moore's law right is the yeah exactly and um yeah i always find that very interesting because yeah everything's expanding in different ways still but yep yeah this is the, the yeah. era of the chips becoming bigger now. Yep. So anyway, uh, yeah. can I go back to Austin's question? Because I still don't think I answered it very well. Um, so again, at the enterprise level, we want to understand how do you create value? And then we want to say, all right, how do we organize around that? What are we doing today? Um, yeah, and it might be like departments, right? It might be like, you know, tens to hundreds of people. Um, and still fundamentally what we're looking at is as these items move through this workflow, and it might even be a work network, right? Like different things take different pathways. Like it's never as linear as we might like. Um, the fundamental question I still want to ask is, does stuff take, spend more time waiting to be worked on than you would like? Uh, and if so, what do you want to do about that? Mm. And And most places are just crippled by too much work in the system. Yeah. And they're just they're just flooded with whip. They don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to turn off the spigot. They don't know how to differentiate high value stuff from low value stuff. They don't know how to say no. They don't know how to prioritize. They allow all this back channel weird um, kind of pet requests to come through. And yeah. and then they wonder, like, why doesn't why aren't we predictable? And why doesn't anything come out of the right hand side of our operation? The right hand being the delivery end uh, as we would like. Or why is it so broken? Um, or why is it so the wrong thing? Yeah. That's not at all what we asked for. Where What happened along the way? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we see in software all the time. So um, those are the dynamics that we see. Um, of course, we see a lot of the similar dynamics at the team level and a lot of the things like, hey, didn't you know that if you take something that no one fully understands and you get a bunch of really smart people to work on it all at once, um, you tend to end up with a better result. Like everyone understands it better. The decisions are better. The design's cleaner. There's fewer defects. It's more fit for purpose. Isn't that funny that that happens? Yeah, that happens at the enterprise scales too. Yeah. But it's just like, how do you facilitate when 50 people come to a meeting? How do you facilitate when 250 people come to a meeting um, and you don't, and, and you need their contribution, right? Like, so those are some of the, the questions that I like to, to play with. And those are some of the, the environments I like to play in. Yeah. Yeah. Helping, helping people, you know, and it's just so funny. Like one of my clients, I was working, I, I got, I, I got invited in years ago into their sort of like their technical, you know, software part and all the software people are complaining. Well, you know, really the problem is, you know, the PMO, really the problem is the business because they're the ones that are making all these decisions, not us. And, you know, and I'm like, go talk to them. Oh, we can't. Well, who can? Well, our top man and our director can. Well, go ask him to talk to them. Like, and, and oh, we can't. Tell me all these reasons why. Literally yesterday, I'm talking to like the director of this bit, like this kind of function. And she's like, I don't understand how we, how can we improve? How can we get better? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like you've been sitting here waiting for somebody to come talk to you haven't you and no one will <laughs> and that pattern has played out a lot whether it's with audit or legal or whomever like these dependencies we have organizationally and we end up waiting for them because we don't prepare them and include them and then when you start preparing them and including them suddenly they're like yeah we'd love to help nobody ever asked no one ever comes down here no one ever talks to us 
Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, so we are we are uh, hitting the end of our how, team box. How do we do that? Yeah, yeah. Do we that's have great. to stop? <laughs> too much, too much good stuff, man. That's yeah. that's, uh, that's a good problem. So right on. Um, yeah, I resonate with what you were saying last, uh, where <laughs> a lot of it is just getting the whole system in the room, in, in some ways, yep. and uh, which is kind of the heart of ensembling. So that that's really cool. Uh, but before we close out, uh, is there anything you'd like to yeah. share? To plug. Oh well, you know, I'm I'm a I'm an independent practitioner, and I'm always looking for uh, the right people who resonate with what I can offer and that I can help with. Um, so I've got a website, Kevin-Callahan.com. That's uh, a good place to start. Um, the call to action on that website is to book a chat with me. I I'm not really interested in collecting an email address or, you know, sending people stuff. Um, I don't have a big marketing funnel. Uh, I want to talk to people and, and just run through a few questions together. And if we can make something happen, that's awesome. And if we can't, and we just kind of join each other's networks, that's awesome as well. Um, so individual leaders, I work with them, individual coaching, uh, leadership development. I work with teams of all kinds to uh, become more effective together, how they communicate, how they work. If they're technical teams, I can do some technical coaching or pull in technical coaches um, that I pair with. Uh, and then, yeah, whole organizations, whether that organization is um, a group of teams, like a division, an entire company, um, it's uh, it's it's fun to find a place to to kind of slot in and, and start uh, helping folks. So, um, yeah, go check out my website. Um, I've got some stuff about leadership wayfinding there. And uh, let me know. Reach out. Ping me on LinkedIn. Ping me on the, the website. And thank you both again for having me. It's been super fun. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin, for being on the show and to our audience. If you feel like, uh, you know, an ancient explorer wayfinding through the uh, the market, uh, struggling, you know, got some parts of the map figured out, but a lot undiscovered and uncertain and uh, trying to find your way, improve, uh, you know, your throughput and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe share this episode with this person. And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on wayfinding and these principles. Uh, you can reach out through LinkedIn, uh, YouTube, Twitter, and more. And uh, we just love hearing uh, your passion, your thoughts, your opinions. Uh, so please share them with us. Uh, but until next time, have a good one, y'all. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.